0: on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care Podcast. Dr. Casey Grover here, back again as your host for this episode. First of all, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has been kind enough to give me a rating on their podcast app. I really appreciate the feedback. And with that, Let's move on to today's episode, which is on hallucinogens. Unfortunately, I could not find a good paper in the medical literature that provided a good overview of hallucinogens, but I have my addiction board exam coming up in October and I found some great chapters on hallucinogens in the book that I am using for board review. So, my reference for this episode is the book ASAM Essentials of Addiction Medicine, 3rd edition with Abigail Heron and Tim Brennan as the editors. We will be reviewing two chapters specifically. First, Chapter 16 on the Pharmacology of Hallucinogens by Manasseh Honey, and second, Chapter 54 on Management of Stimulant, Hallucinogen, Marijuana, Fencyclidine, and Club Drug Intoxication and Withdrawal by Jeffrey Wilkins, Itai Dantovich, and David Gorlick. And with that, let's get started. Let's start with Chapter 16 on the pharmacology of hallucinogens. To start us off, what are hallucinogens? The author of this chapter provides the following definition quote, Hallucinogens are chemically divergent substances primarily used for their potential to alter the processing of cognitive, perceptual, and emotional understanding of self and reality. End quote. There are quite a few different hallucinogens, and we will focus on a few in detail in just a little bit. But first, let's briefly review how hallucinogens produce their effects. Most hallucinogens work by being agonists at the 5-HT2A serotonin receptors in the brain, and agonism at this receptor enhances glutamatergic transmission in the brain and this functions to alter signaling between various areas of the brain. The chapter in the book provides a detailed review of exactly how hallucinogens exert their effects, which we will skip over in this episode to avoid this episode getting too long. Moving on, the chapter discusses hallucinogen use disorder. Hallucinogen use disorder is a DSM-5 diagnosis and can be categorized as mild, moderate, or severe. For a review of how to use the DSM-5 criteria to assess the severity of a substance use disorder, check out episode 6 of this podcast. Now, hallucinogens, as a class of drugs in general, have a few major differences from other drugs of abuse. First, they do not cause physiologic dependence. And, as such, they do not have withdrawal symptoms when use is stopped. Second, they do not have a significant effect on the dopamine-mediated reward systems of the brain. In contrast to drugs like methamphetamine, alcohol, or cocaine, research animals can actually not be trained to self-administer these compounds. As there is no release of dopamine in the reward centers of the brain, the animals cannot be trained to use these drugs compulsively. Hallucinogens do... However, like other drugs, exhibit the phenomenon of tolerance. As a person uses hallucinogens regularly, they need escalating doses to get the same effects. This chapter that we're reviewing then pivots to the epidemiology of hallucinogen use. Believe it or not, approximately 15% of Americans have used a hallucinogen at least once in their lifetime. And interestingly, hallucinogen use rarely causes major medical issues. Less than 1% of hallucinogen users have had an emergency department visit related to their use. And that, of course, is excluding PCP for that statistic. In the United States, LSD is the most commonly used hallucinogen. Let's move on here to the chapter's discussion of some of the most commonly used hallucinogens so we can focus on each individually. First, let's tackle LSD. LSD stands for lysergic acid diethylamine. LSD is taken orally and peak effects are at one and a half to two and a half hours after ingestion. Effects usually last about eight hours. LSD does have some sympathomimetic effects and will therefore cause pupillary dilation as well as increases in heart rate and blood pressure. These increases are relatively minor. In some circumstances, there can be a paradoxical effect on the cardiovascular system and patients using LSD may exhibit hypotension and bradycardia. Deep tendon reflexes will be exaggerated when LSD is used as well. And in terms of dosing, a regular dose of LSD is about 75 to 150 micrograms. No deaths from overdose from LSD have ever been reported, and it is estimated that the fatal dose is about 1,400 milligrams. Just a reminder, regular dose is 75 to 150 micrograms. Now, what does LSD feel like to the user? LSD is reported to alter the state of consciousness of the user Stimulating affect, increasing introspection, and placing the user in a dreamlike state. Users often experience illusions, synesthesia, and alterations of time. In some cases, there can be traumatic experiences during LSD use, often colloquially referred to as bad trips. These may include mood swings and flashbacks to previous life events. Next up, we have psilocybin. Psilocybin comes from a mushroom, and when dried, each mushroom contains about 5 to 11 milligrams of psilocybin. Psilocybin is ingested orally, with peak effects occurring about 70 to 90 minutes after ingestion. A usual dose of psilocybin is 8 to 25 milligrams, which is somewhere between 2 and 5 mushrooms worth. Effects usually last 3 to 4 hours. When a person is using psilocybin, they may exhibit dilated pupils, increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, and an increase in blood sugar. Nausea and vomiting may be seen as a side effect too. Like LSD, psilocybin has never been reported to cause a fatal overdose. The estimated fatal dose is 14,000 milligrams, or the equivalent of four kilograms of dried mushrooms, which is an amount so large that it is very unlikely be taken by anyone. What does psilocybin feel like to the user? Psilocybin causes very similar effects to LSD. There is an altered state of consciousness with a stimulation of affect and increased introspection. Perceptual changes are very prominent including synesthesia, alterations of thought, and alterations of time perception. The third hallucinogen discussed in this chapter is DMT. Also known as dimethyltryptamine. DMT comes from multiple plant sources and animal venoms. Mechanism of action is not fully known, but it appears to be active at the sigma 1 receptor in the body. And a quick side note I did a little research on the sigma 1 receptor as I hadn't heard of it before. It's a transmembrane receptor expressed in multiple areas of the brain. Turns out we don't know exactly everything that it does, but it's involved in cardiovascular function, mental illness, cancer, and substance use. Back to the chapter. DMT can be consumed via multiple routes, oral, smoked, or injected. It is consumed via the oral route as a part of the South American brewed drink known as ayahuasca. When smoked or consumed IV, Peak effects occur within about two to three minutes and last about 15 to 20 minutes. When taken orally, effects peak within one hour and last three to four hours. Side effects may include nausea and vomiting, and high doses can actually precipitate seizures. DMT is a sympathomimetic, so it will cause dilated pupils as well as an increase in heart rate and blood pressure. These effects are much less pronounced when taken orally. And like the other hallucinogens, there have been no reported cases of fatal overdose. What does DMT feel like to the user? DMT may cause dysphoria or euphoria and multiple sensory disturbances. Some of the sensory disturbances may be frightening to the user, such as a subjective feeling of breathing difficulty. There may be disorientation and poor motor coordination as well. These unpleasant effects are much less common in the oral form of ayahuasca brew, which tends to produce effects similar to psilocybin and LSD. All right, moving on to hallucinogen number four in this chapter, mescaline. Mescaline comes from the peyote cactus. The cactus grows in small buttons, each of which contains, on average, 25 milligrams of mescaline. The average human dose of mescaline is 200 to 400 milligrams and the estimated lethal dose is 6000 milligrams. Mescaline is taken orally with effects peaking within 2 to 4 hours. Effects last for a total of 6 to 12 hours. Mescaline may be accompanied by multiple somatic effects including diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, sweating, chills, cramping, and dilated pupils. These somatic effects peak in the first one to two hours, after which there is a dreamlike state that can last for multiple hours. What does mescaline feel like to the user? Mescaline intoxication is noted to be a dreamlike state with enhanced alertness and mood. There are alterations of time and space, as well as altered perceptions of color, sound, and shapes. There may also be synesthesia and depersonalization. Color changes are apparently very intense, including brilliant colors, as well as the appearance of shapes such as stripes, checkerboards, dots, and fractals. All right, next up is our fifth hallucinogen of this chapter, Salvanorin A. Salvanorin A is a hallucinogen found in the plant Salvia divinorum. Salvanorin A is broken down in the GI tract with poor absorption, so it is usually consumed by smoking the salvia plant. It can also be consumed by buccal absorption of tinctures. When taken orally, it has a very mild effect that the chapter reports is similar to cannabis. Salvinorin A is actually a kappa opioid receptor agonist. There may also be an interaction between salvinorin A and the endocannabinoid system. After consumption of salvinorin A, effects start quickly and last at most two hours. Some effects are short-lived, lasting only 15 to 30 minutes. Users may have loss of consciousness when higher doses are used. There is also an unpleasant after effect, which includes dizziness, fatigue, and mental cloudiness lasting up to 24 hours after use, and use of Salvanorin A also causes diuresis now what does salvanorin a feel like to the user effects include mood changes and strange hallucinations that appear quickly and may last for hours salvanorin a has been described as causing a modified perception of external reality users become less aware of their surroundings at lower doses the experience may include laughter happiness relaxation and perceptual changes at higher doses the hallucinations will increase in intensity and euphoria may turn to dysphoria. And this brings us to the final hallucinogen of this chapter MDMA. MDMA stands for Methylene Dioxy Methamphetamine. Most people know of this drug as ecstasy. MDMA is known as an enactogen as it produces experiences of emotional communion, relatedness, and closeness to others. MDMA is taken orally. Peak effects come on within one hour after consumption with effects lasting up to 12 hours. A usual oral dose is about 85 to 150 milligrams. MDMA, as you heard when I read the chemical name, does have a stimulant effect. Once again, MDMA is methylene methamphetamine. As such, MDMA produces effects of increased energy, elevated mood, jaw clenching, and muscle tension. Blood pressure and heart rate increase when MDMA is used, and body temperature may rise as well. MDMA does have some unpleasant after effects, which may include insomnia, fatigue, sore muscles, headache, and dysphoria. Furthermore, when combined with other drugs, there is a risk of serotonin syndrome. Now, what does MDMA feel like to the user? MDMA is commonly described as producing a feeling of general euphoria and an increased sense of well-being. There is a greater attention to feelings, more openness, and increased closeness with others. The stimulant aspects of MDMA may cause some users to feel paranoia, anxiety, or depression. And that marks the end of the first chapter on hallucinogens that we plan to cover in this episode. We've reviewed the class of hallucinogens in general, as well as each of the most common hallucinogens individually. So let's move on to treatment, which brings us to the second chapter, chapter 54 on the management of stimulant hallucinogen marijuana, fencyclidine, and club drug intoxication and withdrawal. And just to be clear, we're going to be talking about the management of hallucinogen intoxication, rather than the management of hallucinogen use disorder. Now, this chapter, as you can tell from the title, is a big one covering multiple topics. We're not gonna cover all of it, we're just gonna focus on the parts about hallucinogens. So let's get started with the major adverse effects of hallucinogen use. As we now know, hallucinogens change sensory perceptions, and it turns out the subjective experience of using the drug is influenced by the set and setting. In other words, a calm environment is more likely to produce a pleasurable hallucinogenic experience, while a chaotic or stressed environment is more likely to produce a dysphoric experience. As such, some patients who use hallucinogens may experience panic reactions while under the influence. These reactions are more common when higher doses of hallucinogens are used, and in some cases, hallucinogens can even induce psychosis. Furthermore, hallucinogens, as we heard during our review of each of the most common hallucinogens, may have somatic side effects or medical complications related to use. Sympathomimetic effects are the most common, including increases in heart rate and blood pressure, dilated pupils, and diaphoresis. The most severe adverse effects of hallucinogens would be seizures, rhabdomyolysis, and hyperthermia. Moving on to the management of hallucinogen intoxication as described by this chapter. When a patient seeks medical attention related to hallucinogen use, the authors note that medical providers should first evaluate the person for medical stability evaluate for the serious medical complications we just discussed, as well as for severe psychiatric disturbance, such as psychosis. We would treat these medical complications and psychosis just as we would for a patient who presented in a similar fashion unrelated to hallucinogen use. We in the emergency department and acute care setting are familiar with this. We are used to sick patients. They may need chemical sedation, cooling measures for hyperthermia, management of seizures. They may need a medical workup to get labs to check for rhabdomyolysis, renal failure, or electrolyte disturbance. They may need IV fluids, the list goes on. Bottom line, if someone is acutely ill as a result of their hallucinogen use, either medically or psychiatrically, Do what you do best and stabilize them. Now, for patients who are medically stable, the most common issue is going to be agitation and distress from the hallucinations. The authors recommend placing patients under the influence of hallucinogens in a quiet and minimally stimulating environment. Physical restraint should be avoided whenever possible. Patients with agitation should be verbally reassured with calm, talking-down techniques. When patients under the influence of hallucinogens do not respond to these initial non-pharmacologic measures, benzodiazepines are the first-line agent for management of agitation and hallucinations. If a patient does not respond to benzodiazepines, then antipsychotics such as haloperidol would be the next line of treatment. Patients using hallucinogens who exhibit agitation and or distress from their hallucinations usually recover over several hours. If symptoms do not clear within several hours, then this suggests that an additional drug was ingested or that these symptoms are from an underlying neurologic or psychiatric condition. Finally, while hallucinogen use does cause tolerance, there is no withdrawal syndrome for hallucinogens. Once patients are mentally clear and free of agitation, they can be safely discharged home with a friend or family member. And that wraps up the second chapter. Kudos to the authors of these two chapters in ASAM Essentials of Addiction Medicine for their great reviews on this topic of hallucinogens. And with that, let's wrap this up with some take-home points. Number one, quoting the first chapter that we reviewed in this episode, quote, hallucinogens are chemically divergent substances primarily used for their potential to alter the processing of cognitive, perceptual, and emotional understanding of self and reality, end quote. Number two, hallucinogens are commonly used drugs with up to 15% of Americans using hallucinogens at some point in their lives. While hallucinogens do exhibit the phenomenon of tolerance, they do not stimulate the dopamine-mediated reward centers of the brain, and they do not have a withdrawal syndrome. Number three, LSD, also known as lysergic acid diethylamine, is taken orally and lasts up to eight hours. It is a mild sympathomimetic and generally causes a dreamlike state with illusions and alterations of thought and time. Number four, psilocybin from mushrooms is taken orally and lasts three to four hours. It is also a mild sympathomimetic and generally causes a dreamlike state with alterations of thought and time. Number five, DMT, also known as dimethyltryptamine, can be consumed via multiple routes, the most common of which is the brewed drink ayahuasca. Time of onset and duration vary by route of use. DMT is a sympathomimetic and can produce euphoria, dysphoria, multiple sensory disturbances. Number six, mescaline from cactus is taken orally and lasts up to 12 hours. There may be a large number of somatic symptoms such as GI upset experienced in the initial hours after consumption. Mescaline produces a dreamlike state with enhanced alertness and mood with alterations of time and space. Intense colors and multiple colorful shapes may be seen during use. Number seven, Salvinorin A, from the Salvia divinorum plant, is most commonly smoked and effects are short lived. There is an unpleasant after effect of fatigue and mental cloudiness. Salvinorin A causes laughter, happiness, relaxation, and perceptual changes, with higher doses causing more intense hallucinations and sometimes dysphoria. Number 8. MDMA, also known as methylene dioxymethamphetamine, is taken orally with effects lasting up to 12 hours. MDMA is an enactogen and also has significant stimulant effects. MDMA produces general euphoria, greater attention to feelings, and closeness with other people. Number nine, hallucinogens can cause serious medical and psychiatric effects including seizures, rhabdomyolysis, hyperthermia, and psychosis. Patients with such serious presentations should be managed as we would any other ED or acute care patient presenting with such severe symptoms or conditions. And number 10, patients using hallucinogens may present to the ED or acute care setting with agitation or distress from their hallucinations. Place such patients in a quiet and minimally stimulating environment. If non-pharmacologic measures do not reduce their agitation or distress, benzodiazepines are first-line therapy, and antipsychotics such as haloperidol are second-line therapy. And that is the end of this episode. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast, and if you do, please consider sharing it with a colleague. Thank you once again for listening, and thank you for what you do, and don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.